Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 46. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined by the power of Zoom by Cody Safdick. Welcome to 2022. Hope everyone enjoyed the break. I was a little hurt off after the laser-guided heat-seeking missile uh, uh, did not Green land. Christmas. Uh, it, it imploded uh, heading into the year. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was ready for a break. And then a month goes by. And, you know, we're going to break down these this card. It's not a great card. In fairness to them, they have done a lot to try to, like, salvage it. There's just been people dropping off left, right, and center. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, it, it next we're, we're building up to next week, as you said to me before we got on the line here. And not only that, because of the extended break, people have been like, I'm going to get caught up on my tape study and, you know, get ahead of the curve. So this card has been steamed to either where exactly where it should be or in a couple cases, a little little too much juice on it. But uh, yeah, in terms of finding those big juicy plus money underdog spots, maybe this is not the card for it. And quite frankly, it was 15 fights a week ago. Now it's down to 11 fights, hearing that it probably be 10 fights by the end of the night. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? However, Paul, it is the first card of 2022, and we want to start the year off on the right foot. So, go. my friend, hopefully we can get some winning picks, salvage this card, and uh, we'll use it as a little bit of an appetizer for next week's offering. Before we get into it, if you're just stopping by for the first time, sub to the channel, Mayo Media, Mayo Media Network. Uh, that helps us out, helps out the algorithm. You know, we bring you guys picks every single week for free. So it's the small things that you can do to help us out and leave an Apple Apple review. I mean, that's what that's the the boss man, Pat Mayo, who's on the sticks this week. He says, tell the people to leave an Apple review. So, uh, you know, on Spotify and and all of the places, anywhere that you download podcasts, if you can do a review, get her done. You know, helps us out. We'll never ask for anything really from you. And uh, besides these types of things, these things is what, you know, helps move the chains as we go uh, week by week. All lines are brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, There's a little promo that'll drop a little bit later on in the show. So uh, be on the lookout for that for new customers, particularly, particularly, um, you know, New York just legalized it recently. So good times had by all DraftKings Sportsbook is the provider, as I said, of all of the lines. So let's get into the main event of the night. We've got Giga Chikads taking on Calvin Cater. Minus 235 Chikads, uh, plus 190 Cater. This line, I made, the, I made these books or these uh, boards like super early, actually. Obviously, I was, you know, anticipating UFC starting back up and they have not moved this line. They are happy with how they have set it. You know, win probability, basically what they're saying here is a 65-ish, 70-ish percent for Giga Chikads. Went back and watched the Cater fight versus Max Holloway. Went back and watched Giga versus uh, versus Barboza. And I've always been kind of low on Giga Chikads, but... I mean, I think the line is close to accurate. I'm just not willing to to step step in at minus 235. If this fight takes place at kicking range, uh, you got to imagine that K- Calvin Cater is going to get torn up completely. 
He's going to have to force himself in. He's going to have to pressure. He's going to have to get into boxing range. He is a very, very clean boxer. Max Holloway, you know, made him look human, but Max Holloway does that to pretty much everybody outside of the top three of the division, right? Um, It's a tough task for Cater. I'm happy that he took like a full year off because that was like a life-changing beating that he took at the hands of Max Holloway. If I had to bet a side in this fight, I would lean towards the Cater fight. Maybe he's worked on some wrestling. Maybe he can take this fight to the mat. We don't really know what Giga can do down there. But I think it's close, closely lined. I think there's a reason why they've, you know, pretty much every single book across the board is held pretty firm on this line. And I see a lot of people talking about value on Cater. And it's like, they're not budging. And I think it's for good reason. I think it's probably about right. Maybe slight action on or slight value on the dog but not a fight that i really really want to get invested in what about you yeah like i feel like i want giga chikot's side but at minus 235 it does seem like it's a little bit deep for me flip side to that why not chase the underdog and calvin cater but again calvin cater was touted as one of the best boxers in the ufc his hands are so good his boxing so clean it's so crisp people keep rating him consistently and just you know one of the better strikers in the division and certainly one of the better boxers in the division when you look at the guys he's fought though right dan Ige's five foot seven 71 in trees short little guy right jeremy stevens apparently he's five foot nine which i disagree with but all the same jeremy stevens five foot nine on a good day and certainly at best Ricardo Lamas, five foot eight. Chris Fishgold, five foot eight. Shane Burgos, who he had troubles with, five foot eleven. Maybe that'd be considered a taller guy for sure. Um, but it seems like he struggles when he's taking on these longer guys. Max Holloway doesn't have a huge reach on him, and he fights like a long opponent. And certainly in the Magomed Sharapov fight as well, the first two rounds when he's fighting at his best, he just controls the range so well that even though you got some great boxer in Calvin Cater, he's just not able to catch up. He's not able to close that gap. He needs to rely on tiring these guys out. And I think the same thing is going to happen here against uh, Kika Chikots. I mean, his striking is just so clean. His kickboxing is so clean. But beyond that, he's really good at using his kicks to dictate the range. Now, of course, everybody and their mother has, has questioned, is this guy for real? He fought such soft opposition when he came to the UFC. Then when he came to the UFC, it was a, it was a strange run, man. Brandon Davis split decision, right? Mm-hmm. Jamal Emmer's fight. Emmer's could have won that fight and fought the worst game plan known to man. Like, it's not looking good. Goes the distance with Erwin Rivera. Okay, that's a bottom-end guy. Uh, Omar Morales fight. That's where the turnaround for me starts, right? does he have questionable cardio he beats guys so early the omar morales fight in the third round he drops morales twice cardio looked clean quick win over jamie simmons expected Mm -hmm. quick win over cub swanson not expected but you didn't get to see his gas tank in in play and then that fight with edson barbosa again the third round giga's output looks pretty good he looks pretty solid if cardio is a not issue because this is his first five round fight if it's not an issue and this thing remains a striking battle you got to favor Giga Chikots. Now, what's his biggest kryptonite? Probably his takedown defense, right? But Calvin Cater has got one takedown in the last four years in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Not likely the guy that's going to go out there and wrestle him. So it's going to be boxer against kickboxer. And unfortunately, one guy's using four weapons and one guy's using two. So I favor Giga in that regard. The problem with Calvin Cater is that people keep mentioning the Max Holloway fight where he just takes so many shots. But even over the course of five rounds, he lands 133 significant strikes of his own. That's more than twice as good as Giga's ever landed. Giga's not really an output guy. So the worry here is that you probably bet Giga pre-fight and you'd have an opportunity to maybe hedge out the later this thing goes. And if you want Calvin Cater, I would strongly suggest don't bet him right now. Bet him after the second or third round. It's likely going to drop the first two rounds, but he's the guy that's been five rounds. 
he's the guy that's taken huge shots and survived and been able to not come back, but you know, stay in the fight. Mm-hmm. Maybe he takes Giga into some uncharted waters and exposes him that way. But as far as striker versus striker goes, got to go with the better striker. Better striker is Giga. Just don't love the price tag. But uh, the official pick is is Giga Chikaze. Fair enough. All right, we got uh, Caitlin Chikagian taking on Jennifer Maya in the rematch that nobody asked for. Caitlin Chikagian, a minus 180 favorite. Maya, plus 155. Went back and watched that fight between them. And, and honestly, it pay, played out exactly exactly how you would expect a fight between these two to play out. Um, Chukagian, a little bit higher volume. I think she outstruck her like 74 to 55. She only landed like 25% of her strikes, but there was lots of hias. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, kias and, you know, how she wins lots of her fights, activity, and just the boisterous, uh, you know, noises that she makes, even when she misses strikes, that kind of fools some of the judges into uh, siding with her. But all like she won that fight fair and square. The one interesting thing that did happen in that fight is with about a minute and fifteen seconds left in round three, Maya finally like commits to a takedown, gets the fight to the match. She isn't. She ends up in like in half guard. Isn't really able to progress, but she was able to get her down there and hold her there. And if I was in Maya's corner, that's what we're going for right from the get-go in this fight. Because you're probably going to get out-volumed if you just stay on the feet. Chukagin's got like a five-inch reach advantage. She's, you know, and she just, her volume and output, just every single fight is is always like that. You got to mix in those takedowns. You got to mix in those takedowns. Early and often, maybe you know the the whole the whole way that that fight plays out changes. If if Maya gets a takedown in the first minute and a half, has a whole bunch of top control, steals round one, well then it's anybody's fight at that point. Um, it was a pretty pretty it was a pretty competitive fight all the way around. I think Chikagian is the rightful favorite, but another line I think when these lines have been out for what four weeks now, and all of the degenerates have been you know they've been picking away at it. Minus 180 plus 155 sounds about right to me. Um, I'll, 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 I'll go to Chicagian and say the exact same thing plays out as we had seen before because I can't really trust Maya to go in there and secure takedowns early and often. What about you? Yeah, you definitely want to improve it. And I think the way the first fight played out, very likely how this fight plays out. Also, both women not known exactly for their finishing abilities. So you're looking to improve the price tag by hitting it by decision. Now, mm-hmm. Caitlin Jukagian, minus 180 straight up, not great. Caitlin Jukagian, minus 120 by decision on DraftKings right now, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I think that's the, the direction that you go for sure. Listen, the last time they fought, just like you said, things are going according to plan. First two rounds, Caitlin Jukagian, first round's competitive. Second round, she's definitely pulling away. Way more kios in the second round. Third round is going her way. By the numbers she has strikes in the third round, it's that takedown by by Maya and a little bit of top control probably does win the round. All three judges, 29-28. Fair enough. If you look at some of the media members, some of them actually gave the fight 30-27, Caitlin Jukagian, but I'd say clean victory. Since then, Caitlin Jukagian has really only fought the best of the division. She's got a loss to Valentina Shevchenko and a loss to Jessica Andrade. But you see new wrinkles to her game when she's fighting these other competitors. She's a BJJ brown belt, been competing a little bit in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well recently. And uh, her her ground game's way better than it was in that first fight. So the only worry, because you're 100% right, if you're Maya, why not go in and just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle this fight? Well, two concerns. One, I would say Caitlin Jukagian's ground game's actually improved since the first encounter. Two, when has Jennifer Maya gone in with a wrestling-heavy game plan? 
Now, this is a girl that scored one singular takedown over Valentina Shevchenko and had a little bit of top control in that fight as well. But uh, people all of a sudden thought she was Jordan Burroughs and that she'd be able to replicate it. Just not the case. In the Jessica I fight, you see she is who she is. She's slow. She's plodding. She comes forward. Uh, I thought Jessica I largely did beat her to the punch in that, in that fight and then had the takedowns. It was the big moments, you know? Like, she'd be losing four minutes of the round, and then she, I think it was an accidental head clash, right? Splits Jessica I's, uh, Jessica I's head open, and now there's blood everywhere. Now it looks pretty good for Maya. You score the fight for Maya. It's a bloody war. Those are the kind of fights that a shoot-to-box stylist is going to thrive in. Against Caitlin Chukagian, she doesn't give you that. She fights a Wonderboy, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson game plan, in and out, dancing around. Difference is, is that she seemingly can stuff a takedown, for the most part. Hopefully I didn't just jinx her there by comparing her to Wonderboy, who cannot stop a takedown. 2021 lesson learned, Paul. Not going to do it again this time. So the minus 180 price tag, yeah, it doesn't look great. But by decision, which is where this is very likely headed, that doesn't look bad to me whatsoever. And I think it plays out largely like the first one did. Striking numbers, striking volume, all-around speed advantage goes towards Chikagian. And uh, she ends up winning at worst at 29-28, likely a 30-27. Can't disagree with anything there. All right, we got Brandon Roy Val taking on Rogerio Bonterine. Minus 160 Roy Val, plus 140 for Bonterine. Who you got here? I'll admit uh, with Roy Val, I didn't really expect a whole lot of him when he was first coming to the UFC. I've been following him in his regional scene career, and he competed for a couple no- notable organizations, but I-, I just didn't really think he had it. Debuts in the UFC, and he beats Tim Elliott as a sizable underdog. That's a huge victory taking on a savvy former title challenger in Tim Elliott. It was like, oh, fluke win. Maybe you chalk it up as a fluke win. Then he goes out there in a fight with Kai Car France, which is just an absolutely go watch that fight again. What a fun fight to rewatch. Uh, just action packed. His striking is not consistent, but it's there. He hits hard. He hits you with the shot that you don't see coming. But then again, it just his grappling, his scrambling ability. It's a fantastic first round, although he gets hurt himself and he comes back and beats Kai Car France uh, with a guillotine choke submission 48 seconds into the second. Beautiful win. And a win that holds out pretty good in hindsight, considering mm-hmm. Kai Car France is on a little bit of a roll. And then back-to-back losses. And maybe that's why sa- people maybe get sour a little bit on him. Uh, when you look at them again, Brandon Moreno, he looked good early. And then he loses to a man who's the current champion in the Alexander Pantoja fight, where, again, he looks well, good early and loses to a, a top-five guy within the division. And so the Moreno, I can't fault him. The Moreno fight was the shoulder injury, too. Like, if he's able to get to the bell there, they don't stop it. Maybe they're able to jam his shoulder back in because it seemed like something that had happened to him before. Yeah, yeah. And I was on Moreno in that spot. And I remember thinking, like, I seriously underestimated this guy. Like, I thought the last two wins, even though stiff competition and nice victories, like, I thought they were kind of fluky. And now he here he is giving Moreno a go. But Moreno figured him out by the end of that round. He took him down. Then the shoulder dislocates. Then he gets some ground and pound in. Sure, who knows how it would have gone? Definitely towards Moreno. But there's a fight that he's a minor, or he's a plus 145 underdog to the guy that's the current champion in the division. Crazy. And then again, the Pantoja fight. Pantoja is such a tough opponent because he can do everything good. Guy can wrestle, spend time in Arizona. His striking, pretty on point for this division, and his grappling almost second to none in this division. High-level BJJ black belt, strong. And a guy that's kind of tuned his game to not be able to fight into the later rounds. He's shored up some of the, uh, the cardio issues that have plagued him. But Roy Val tests him, he just, he falls apart against the most elite of the most elite. Now on paper, Bontrin's going to post problems because he does have pretty good BJJ. He's a power BJJ guy. His problem is that he'll get into these hectic scrambles, he'll fight these hectic paces, and he doesn't got the cardio to mm-hmm. keep up. Not with Roy Val. 
And that's where I think it's going to come down to is that Roy Val is going to have the superior striking. He's going to pounce on him. Bontarine is a little tank engine, man. He's a strong guy. There's no doubt about it. He probably does score takedowns over Roy Val. But you see how crafty Roy Val is off his back? See how many submission attempts he's throwing? It's just making you work. He gets back up to his feet. You need another takedown. He gets up back to his feet. You need another takedown. When it's when it is standing, you're losing these exchanges. And I just think that kind of pressure is going to wear down on Bontrian down the stretch. I mean, he's a guy that notoriously has bad weight cuts, and I would want to see him on the scale for this fight. But for the time being, I'd lock in uh, Brandon Royval as the, as the pick. And as far as by decision inside the distance, like I don't think this thing's going the distance. So I would no. think Royval catches him at some point inside of two and a half. I mean, yeah, the uh, the over-under is already juiced minus 170 to the under 2.5 rounds, but it's a Roy Val fight. Right. The guy keeps such a furious <laughs> yeah. pace that, I Fair. mean, th- there really aren't too many people who can keep that pace over the course of three rounds. Like, it is fast, it is furious, it's entertaining, and it is probably my pick for fight of the night. If, there, if you have any props out there for that. Maybe there's a little sneaky value, but probably not. The books are pretty sharp to the fact that Brandon Royval is all action all the time. All right, we got uh, Jake Collier taking on Chase Sherman, minus 130. Jake Collier, plus 110 for the vanilla gorilla, Chase Sherman. Um, I don't have a great feeling about... These are both guys that, like, I think when in general we want to fade. You know, you have... Jay Collier, who is a guy who is a former middleweight, <laughs> completely ate himself out of the division. He keeps that volume up pretty good, which is uh, keeping him employed in the UFC, at least for the time being. Sherman is actually a heavyweight frame. The guy's like six foot four. Um, he's he's built pretty. Like I don't see him making two oh five. I don't. I definitely don't see him making one eighty five at any time. Thick shoulders. But, and both of these guys are actually, like, it's interesting. Like, the, the over-under is juiced to minus 175 to the over one and a half rounds. Both of these guys, not particularly, you know, potent finishers, more volume guys. I think it's a close fight. It's lined as a close fight. I'll lean towards Collier. Um, but, I, I mean, you were the guy who were all who was all over uh, Porker Porter or Parker Porter. Uh, for the less inclined uh, in uh, Chase Sherman's last fight. So do you see a lot of the same things here? Can you just supplant Porker Porter uh, for Jake (laughs) Collier and you have the exact same results here? What do you think? I think so. So I've got a little bit of strategy was working in 2021. We're going to extend it into 2022 and see if it goes. So just bear with me on this one. Uh, Chase Sherman released from the UFC. Can't cut it at this weight class, heavyweight. The only weight class he can fight in the UFC clearly, Uh, but just can't cut it within the division. They release him. He goes to the regional scene. He's fighting regional scene talent. He's fighting bare knuckle boxing and he loses to Joey Beltran. Yes. The executioner, 37 year old Joey Beltran loses to him. Comes back to the UFC and beats like Villanueva. What people don't realize because it just sits as a win on his record is that he tested positive after the fight, right? So he's Mm. juiced up during it. He takes a suspension. He takes a fine. Should have been ruled a no contest. Just wasn't for whatever reason, right? Him coming back after the suspension, and if you look at the weigh-ins for that fight, his back, oh, man, back knee all over I talking about this last time. So the Andrei Arlovsky fight, okay? We go in with the strategy of, 
Andre Arlovsky is one of these guys that just hangs around. You know, he can seemingly go three rounds all of a sudden. He hangs around against low-level guys, and he just slightly outpoints them. There's a good chance that he's going to lose the first round and then come back and win the second and third. Bet Andre Arlovsky. More importantly, bet Andre Arlovsky after the first round as well. Both of them come through. Andre Arlovsky, you almost got knocked the fuck out in the first round. Okay, so let's mark that one down for me. Andre Arlovsky. Um, knock the F out. I got to bleep that one out for TV. Uh, he almost gets knocked out in the first round for what it's worth, right? He does get hit a couple clean times, but Sherman doesn't got a gas tank on him. And once he senses a little bit of blood in the water, he overexerts himself. By the second round, gassed. Arlovsky wins the second round. Third round, Sherman gassed. Arlovsky wins the third round. Both things come true. So we go in with the exact same strategy before the Parker Porter fight, right? Parker Porter is kind of durable. And he showed in his last fight, at least with Parisian, that he can throw over 100 significant strikes, which means something at heavyweight. This guy just hangs around long enough. He'll be live. He loses the first round and Chase Sherman, slightly. I think uh, Sherman outstrikes him 27-21 in the first round. But it's still a pretty good round for Parker Porter. The second the second round starts, it's like energy levels absolutely depleted. He's not on the GAC anymore. He's not on the good stuff anymore, Paul. He got about six minutes in him, and then he completely gasses out. And even middling heavyweights, like mm-hmm. Parker Porter, and, and Andre loves he's a legend, but you know, skill set-wise, middling heavyweight, all they got to do is just hang around, and then they'll outstrike him down the stretch. It's what keeps happening. So a matchup with Jake Collier is actually a nightmare type of matchup because that's what Collier does, man. Is he really a heavyweight? No, but he certainly looks the part right now. I mean, he's 265 pounds. He's a, he's a big, thick boy, right? Mm-hmm. But beyond that is that he's thrown, he's shown that uh, he's got an ability to throw significant strikes, to throw volume, to fight three rounds. His last fight against Carlos Felipe, he outstruck Felipe 130 to 94. I thought now, most won. people actually cried. Ro- yeah, right. Most people cried robbery. I happened to have Felipe, so I zipped my I, mouth shut. But a good performance, dude. And then the fight prior to that against John Volante, low-level guy, sure. Again, 123 significant strikes put up, just boxes him up, beats him up pretty handedly. This one screams the exact same thing. So I got Jake Collier. And beyond that, I think there's an opportunity to bet him after the first round. And our worst case here is that Sherman does happen. It's heavyweights and it's MMA. Sherman catches Collier in the first round and knocks him out. That's our worst case. Well, then we didn't make that second bet, right? We didn't see the first round through. If the first round, we see it through. And even if Sherman looks good, it'd be good. Perfect. Give me a plus money line on it. Give me a plus money line after the first round. But just in case we win that first round and you never see that line ever again, I'll take this uh, this current value of minus 130. It's currently, right, minus 135? Yeah, minus 130 is what mm-hmm. DraftKings has got it currently listed as. So um, it's heavyweights and it's low-level heavyweights, but there's a pattern here with Chase Sherman, and I think we stick on the exact same thing. And in live markets, like, but pay attention to, like right now I see like Collier by decision is like plus 150. In live markets, if they're offering you um, you know, by decision props and, and so on and so forth after round one. Pay attention to what this what this was lined beforehand. Before like because you may actually get a better line after round one on on something like that. Um sure, just because sure. whoever's setting the lines live doesn't really, you know, they're going with what they're seeing on tape at at that moment rather than what the you know what the likeliest outcome of this fight is. So you know, and that, yeah it sounds like we're on great- Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I was just going to say, that's a great point as well, is that Chase Sherman's last two fights, he's been hit a lot and he's tired out, but he hasn't been knocked out. Mm-hmm. Flip side, Jake Collier was fighting Jean Volante. Hit him 123 times, couldn't put him away. Not really, but he's he is a former middleweight. Not the biggest power puncher at heavyweight either. So 
fight to go the distance is obviously big, but if we've got Jake Collier and a Jake Collier by decision, you know what? It's only plus 150. Wow. Man, I'm telling you, I was thinking about it earlier this week and just like the biggest steam. Everybody's been looking at these lines. Yeah, these lines long. have been sitting around and getting and getting bet for a while. They're they're quite stale. But like back in the day, you had any sort of heavyweights and you were it was they were not lining you know, over two and a half to minus 175. They were like 50-50. Yeah, it was a coin flip. And like, it was, you know, it was, it was on the better to be able to be like, oh, Arlovsky doesn't finish a sandwich when he finished or when he, when he fights. So, you know, bet the over in this spot. They're getting a lot better. I'll tell you that much of knowing which heavyweights are not the finishers. And these two guys clearly are not. Um, it's one of the, you know, that over one over 2.5 rounds, for a heavyweight fight is one of the biggers that one of the bigger ones that I've seen in quite some time. All right, next up, uh, hopefully this fight still happens. We got Joe Anderson Brito taking on Cody's boy Bill Aljo minus one thirty five Brito plus one fifteen Aljo. Uh, Brito's corner tested positive for coronavirus, so apparently as of right now, fight is still on, but they're going to retest the guys over the course of the week and. Uh, We'll see how it shakes out. What's your uh, what's your take on this one here, Code? Yeah, so Bill Aljo is my boy, but uh, temporarily I think I'm gonna have to put it on pause here. He seriously, seriously let me down his last time out against Ricardo Ramos. I think when you're looking to, you know, what kind of fighter do you like? What's the prototype of a fighter that you like? You want them to be as well rounded as possible. In Bill Aljo's case, he is very well rounded. He only wrestled at like a high school level, but there is some offensive wrestling to his game. BJJ black belt, some pretty good grappling. Pace, four days. Durability, on key. Guy can take a punch, submission defense is good. And as well as his kickboxing game, well-rounded, right? Long, lengthy guy, can stay to the outside, can use kicks. There's a lot that you can like to Bill Aljo's game. So that's kind of one of the reasons why he's my boy. A fight with Ricardo Lamas, you give him a free pass there. It's his UFC debut. He's taking on a former UFC title challenger. It's just a, it's a tough go in your debut. But he showed some some glimpses to his game. Didn't look terrible in that fight. Comes true for his big game in Spike Carlisle. You and I are both on him. He does exactly what Billy Q did to Spike Carlisle, and that's outwear him. And he showcases his superior skill set. It's that last fight with Ricardo Ramos where he got massively exposed in one dynamic to his game where he is not strong. He does not have any strength. He's just not physical enough. Taken now did he beat Spike Carlisle and all yeah right by Ramos and like the most just bum takedowns man bum takedowns now I didn't mention he wrestled in high school a long time ago and offensively he's got some okay takedowns defensively he just doesn't got the chops now the problem when you're a BJJ black belt and you like throwing up submissions off your back and you've got infinite cardio so you can just keep scrambling and doing your thing is that you're not working on your takedown defense you're just allowing it to happen you're accepting it. And as you move up the rank in the UFC, you're taking on guys that have good top control, guys that are also BJJ black belts, guys that will just nullify your game and win the round because they are on top of you and they completed the takedown. That's how it starts to work as you move up. And I, to me, just got seriously exposed in that last fight against Ricardo Ramos. So now a prospective matchup with Joannis and Brito again. It's like, okay, well, you know what? Bill can strike and Bill's got decent grappling and Bill's got pace for days. He's also got the UFC experience. So Technically, he's the more, you know, the more seasoned of the two guys. He's been here before. Okay, yeah, he's live. He's a live underdog. I just see it going similar in that Joanna Sombrito is going to have the heavier strikes. He's going to back him up. He's going to land the more eye-catching shots. And then beyond that, if he wants this fight to the ground, he'll be able to take it down. He looked pretty good on the contender series. I'm not going to say great. Like, there are some limitations to his game before a, a technical foul due to eye poke 
calls an end to it. But he, he's up two rounds anyways, likely probably going to win this third, even though he's starting to tire a little bit. So there is going to be an opportunity for Bill to take advantage late. Again, if you're a Bill Aljo supporter, I would suggest highly to bet this guy in the live market after he drops a round or two and hope that he rally, uh, he's able to rally. But Anderson Brito, he's only 26 years old. He doesn't figure to be making any regression to his game. He just figures to be getting better and better and better. I mean, he's got a good submission game. He's got a good striking game. But everything he does is predicated on power and strength. And that's something that Bill figures to struggle mightily against again again. So I, I would have to say Joannis and Brito. Hate turning my back on Bill Aljo. I want to see weigh-ins. I want to see as much you know information as I can leading up. But the pre-fight pick here is going to have to be Brito. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to go with Brito as well, just obviously the takedowns. But and the problem with LJO too, in, in terms of betting him live, like he has to, there has to be a super, super high pace in that round one. Because whether you like it or not, if Brito is able to secure takedowns the first two rounds, win it that way, like LJO doesn't have too much finishing ability. So it's a pretty tough. Mm. You know, it's your, it's your classic 29-28, even the guys like flailing and, and falling apart down the stretch, but still gets the decision because I haven't seen it from Bill Aljeo that he's able to like, you know, really, really hurt guys all that much. So, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah, Brito, if he fights, probably makes a pretty good DraftKings play as well. If you think that he's going to secure takedowns, uh, get a lot of top control, yeah. those those pay the bills, so... I don't have the pricing in front of me right this second, but uh, somebody I'll be targeting, and hopefully they're relatively low-owned. And with a card with only 11 fights, you know, maybe Brito's not the most uh, not the most owned guy. All right, let's move on down. We've got uh, Joseph Holmes taking on Jamie Pickett, minus 140 Holmes, plus 120 Pickett. Holmes watched, rewatched his fight uh, against Shantae Barnes, and... <clears throat> He's really green. He's really, really green. Like the Shante Barnes guy, I believe he was like pretty short notice coming into that spot for the contender series. Round one was pretty competitive. There was a massive size disparity between the two of them. Holmes is very, very long. Um, He loads up his kicks quite a bit. It seems like they're basically telegraphed. And... for his frame, he's super, super tall for middleweight, but I'm not sure he's really, like, too, too strong. And I think that's where he could be end up in a little bit of trouble against Jamie Pickett. Pickett, really, really hard to knock out. Uh, obviously, um, Jordan, what's his face? Uh, Jordan Wright, Jordan was, Wright. Able, was able to put him away. That was just, uh, I rewatched that one this morning, just like, all right, how, what's worst case scenario here? And it was just Jordan Wright going into full YOLO mode and was able to get which him. Which he out. does, yeah. Which he which does. Do. And if, yeah. if you were, you know, if Pickett survives another minute there, he probably ends up winning the <laughs> right. fight because Wright would have completely fell right. apart. Um, but that's, that's the game we play when you, you know, put people in their underwear and get them to fight for money. Um, I'm leaning towards Pickett here as an underdog. Uh, plus 120. Is the price to pay just just more way more experience? I know Joseph Holmes training with uh, James Krause and all of them. The, he'll probably come in with a pretty decent game plan. But I didn't see against Shante Barnes. I didn't see great takedown ability. Um, a lot of, there was a lot of cage control. Seems very very green. The striking is long, but I don't know if it's all that potent. And um, 
I think there's going to be a strength disparity when they get up against the cage. Pickett, which he showed against Loriano Steropoli, pretty strong in those uh, up against the cage uh, clinch positions. That's kind of how he, you know, turned that fight around and ended up winning, which was a super, super close fight between the two of them. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to lean towards Pickett, more experience, and uh, we'll, I'm holding my breath on Holmes here. What about you? Yeah, that's that's my problem is that with Joseph Holmes, he did not look good against Shante Barnes in the slightest bit. We knew going in that he was a good striker, apparently. He's at a James Krause's camp, so he'd have a good game plan. But yeah, and he's known to be an okay grappler as well. The biggest thing about him is dude's six foot four with an 80 inch reach at 185 pounds. So it's pretty unheard of. And if these guys are allowed to operate from the outside and strike, that's when they're going to be at their best. That's when they're going to be most comfortable. Shante Barnes didn't really allow him to do that. You know, he pressed the action on him. And to be honest, Shante Barnes probably wins the first round. So this is a disastrous start for Holmes, who shows off decent cardio. And you see, once he starts to click with his combinations, once he gets his striking going, yeah, okay. There's a little bit of substance to his game. The UFC is not interested because, quite frankly, it was a pretty ugly first round. Second round, he comes back. But... You nailed it 100% when you just said he's too green. So they do not sign him off the contender series. He takes a fight literally one month later against Jonathan Patty, who's a contender series veteran as well. Actually, once upon a time, fought Jamie Pickett on the contender series. It, it, it was Pickett's one win because he's one and two in the contender series. So they do have a little bit of a common opponent type stuff here. But again, in that fight, Patty doesn't try to get the, the grappling going right away. He allows him to set up shop from the outside and gets knocked out. So from what I've seen with Jamie Pickett, see, his advantage is that he's 6'2 with an 80-inch reach. Mm-hmm. He got, like, super long arms, man. And he likes to stay to the outside, and he likes to allow his opponents to come forward. He tries to counterpunch on them, tries to dictate that pace. Against Barnes, I just don't think he's going to be able to. I think Barnes probably does the better work from the outside and just ever so slightly outpoints him. As far as the grappling goes, I couldn't tell you if this is going to end up being a grappling affair. Like Pickett's not really known for his grappling. Yeah. The Staropoli fight, a lot of it took place inside the clinch, but keep in mind the Staropoli fight was awful. And I, truthfully, I thought it could have been scored other way. Like it was a close, not very good fight. Mm-hmm. Staropoli is a former welterweight who's actually is six foot one. He's got a small frame on him with like a 71 inch reach. Holmes has got a nine-inch reach advantage on Staropoli, a three-inch height advantage, like completely different type of opponent. So one thing about James Krause and company is that they'll have a good game plan, and I think that game plan consists of state of the outside and outstrike this guy. If he tries to pin you up against the cage, take your time, get away from him, create space, and then get back to striking. And then if it, that's how it plays out down the stretch, I would say Holmes. I would say Holmes fight probably over one and a half, over two and a half, fight goes a distance. Like That's where my, my, my mentality is at. But... This was supposed to be a 15-fight card initially, and I wanted nothing to do with this fight at all. It's a 11, maybe a 10-fight card now. So there's going to be overexposure to this spot. But to be honest, like it's not could go either way. I, mean, I wouldn't be very confident either side. If these fights aren't doing it for you, let's talk about next weekend when there will be a heavyweight bout between one of the sport's best knockout artists and an undefeated challenger. This will fly, which is great for you because the new DraftKings Sportsbook customer can bet just $1 and win 100 in free bets if either fighter lands a punch. That's all it takes. One jab, cross, hook, uppercut, haymaker, or hammer fist. Doesn't matter. Just one punch, turn $1 into 100 in free bets. The heavyweight title bout is scheduled for five rounds, and I can't imagine it goes the distance without a punch being landed. So it's just $1 on this no-brainer and win $100 in free bets. 
DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Shout out to our new friends who are now available to use DraftKings Sportsbook in New York State. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP. Throw down just $1 on the UFC 270 main event and win $100 in free bets if Nganu or Gan land a punch. That's code DOP next Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. All right, we got Court McGee taking on Ramiz Abrahimai. Straight pick him, minus 110 on both sides here. Cody, who you got? Well, I mean, Court McGee's the little tank that I can. He just refuses to quit. And when you think that his back's against the wall, he's kind of got one more left in him. But I just think the magic is completely done. Mind you, he cashed me one against Claudio Silva. He cashed you one against Claudio Silva as well. Definitely happy about that spot. But you see the massive limitations to his game. Like, he's still only 37 years old. And to me, that's just mind-blowing. Like, he won the Ultimate Fighter 12 years ago now. He had already previously died of a drug overdose prior to getting onto the ultimate fight was the last pick on tough lost got brought back as a wild card and won. like what a great story 12 years ago since then it's just less and less competitive i mean he's fallen into this gatekeeper type of role but all of his skills i just think everybody in the division has gone beyond it so if i was to tell you paul what does cormagee do well would we would we say he's a striker He's pretty herky-jerky with his striking these days, you know? Stiff, robotic, doesn't got much of a kickboxing game. He fought really stupid game plans against guys like, guys like Carlos Condit and Ben Saunders and, and got outstruck. Uh, okay, fair enough. Can he wrestle? Did I mention he fought Carlos Condit and Ben Saunders and at neither point thought to himself, I should <laughs> Man, take these guys was, to the ground? I was like, on court against Condit, and I was just like, this is not what I signed up for, bud. So, so ring on cues out the window. Striking is just, it's, it's stuck in 2010, right? His grappling, he's never been submitted. That's like one thing I'll give him massive feather in his cap, but not as if he's fought in exactly the best grapplers the sports ever seen as well. Uh, for the most part, he's just serviceable. He does have a deep gas tank. That's one thing you can't take away from him. He's durable and he can take you into some deeper waters. So if you have cardio problems, if you are a one round fighter, maybe a one and a half round fighter, Court's going to be able to work his way back into this thing and take it on down the stretch. With Ramiz Brahimaj, that is a possible possible avenue. He's got nine submission victories. Eight of them are inside the first round. So does that scream, you know, I'm a cardio machine? Good. However, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he's got cardio issues. I think in his debut against Max Griffin, he just wasn't able to get his wrestling going and now has to strike with a guy exploded. who's very established in the division. And then a second time out, you see, he just gets the fight to the ground right away and puts his IBJJF World Championship to good use. I think he won it as like a blue belt or something, but all the same, good grappling, puts it to good use, gets himself a submission victory. Against Court, he's Court's the younger never, guy. Court's never been subbed. Just want to put that out there. I Believe me, man. Believe me. I know. Because that, again, that's the one avenue. How does Brahimaj blow this thing for himself? He's the younger guy. He's the more athletic guy. He's got a speed advantage. Mm -hmm. I think his wrestling is going to be good enough to get court down. And if he gets court down, he's going to be able to set up shop on top. Problem is, is that he's used to getting these first round submissions. And against court, he's going to need to ground him and hold him down for three full rounds. Yeah. At the very least, two full rounds. Court's not a finisher, right? Go up, go up, twenty eighteen, and just hold on third. for dear life at that point. Because doesn't court, really yeah, matter what yeah. happens. Court's and, and I think that's what's unlikely to land a big bomb that's going to change things in round three. 
if you remember the Sean Brady fight, Court McGee is just completely outclassed by a younger, more athletic, talented guy who's a good grappler and is able to take Court McGee down and neutralize him. And then the third round, it's Brady's debut, right? Brady's fighting in the UFC bright lights for the first time. And this is a walk in the park for Court McGee because he's been doing it for a decade, right? Brady tires out in the third and allows Court to work his way back in, maybe even win the round. But Brady just knows I'm up too. I'm just going to like neutralize him and do the best to to shut this round down. And that's all he does. So it was a good third round victory for Court McGee. It was not a third round victory. He may have diced out the third round at best, but he still loses a decision. To me, that's what this one as well. He, he's one of those guys that if you like this prospect, he's a green prospect. He could use some more ring time. Court's going to give you ring time. You're going to fight three rounds against him. You're going to fight a full 15 minutes, very likely. You're a first round submission guy. You like blowing guys out in the first round, you know, first five minutes, take on Court McGee. Try doing that to him. If you can, you're legit, really legit. More than likely, you're going to have to fight him for two and three rounds, and we'll get a better understanding of how good of a prospect you actually are. And he's got a, won the Ultimate Fighter. He's got a name within the division. It's not a household name by any stretch, but even some casual fans obviously recognize him from his pure tenure. You're giving a guy a boost. So I think they like Brahimon. She's out of a good camp out in Texas. He's made improvements to his game. He's going to be the benefactor of the name Court McGee. So, yeah, decision victory for Ramiz Brahimash. And honestly, the straight up money line is uh, not too bad. Yeah, I mean, it's a straight pick em. So, I, I mean, yeah. I, I kind of thought of a lot of those th- same things. But my, my biggest question, which you already broke down for me, was can Ramiz fight this fight for three rounds? And uh, Court, Court is like up and down in terms of like, in terms of volume. He kind of fights to, like, the pace that his opponent's willing to fight, it seems, most of the time. Um, it's usually very, very close. But, yeah, if Ramiz is able to get these takedowns, get top control, I'm kind of with you. I'll lean towards Ramiz Brahimaj to get the job done. Uh, this fight was just added to the card a few hours before our recording. Uh, TJ Brown was supposed to take on... Uh, Gabriel Benitez our boy Mowgli Benitez I can't believe I didn't remember that on the fly well he ends up dropping out last night I think at like 4 o'clock in the morning Eastern time Charles Rosa gets the call apparently they called him to fight Topuria next week who uh, was supposed to fight Evloev and he's just like no 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 he he, he definitely turned down that fight I can't really blame him Um, and then took (laughs) this fight this week because I mean, who wants to fight Topuria? That's just when you're when you're when you're uh, when your contract is a certain amount to w- or to show up, a certain amount to win. You don't want to be fighting Ilya Topuria, him and Evloev. Like, let's just rebook that fight unless Evloev's hurt for a long time. Because those are two young studs that nobody in the division wants to fight. But anyway, TJ Brown now a big favorite. He's going to be the super super chalk on DraftKings just because of how odds work out. Uh, the line's been bouncing around a little bit. I don't believe DraftKings Sportsbook has a price yet, but I took one from a different spot. And it's minus 280, uh, TJ Brown plus 220. That's kind of where they opened it. There was a little bit of a charge on Charles Rosa, and uh, and money seems to be coming back on TJ Brown now. I mean, Rosa hasn't had the greatest history at the weigh-in, so I would definitely pay attention to that considering he's taking the fight on four days' notice. Most of his struggles in his UFC career have been against guys who have a grappling advantage against him. He is a good grappler when he gets it to the mat. He is quite solid. 
Um, sometimes he's a little bit too happy to just hang out, fish around for subs on his back, give up, giving up rounds. But this is definitely a winnable fight for him if he's coming in in shape and he's been training and not just looking for a paycheck. Um, at the current odds, if I was forced to make a play on this, I would probably take Charles Rosa. But I'm going to see how the... It seems like there's money coming back on TJ Brown now, which leads me to believe I don't have to jump on anything too soon. I can wait till weigh-ins and, you know, maybe we get a, a plus 180 plus or plus 200. I imagine people are going to bite back at the plus 220 that's that's out there right now. Um, but I think it's dog or pass here, 100%. And Cody, I don't know if you saw my tweet earlier today. <laughs> I did. I was going to bring that up. But you did. So Charles Rosa's entire mm. UFC career, mm. he has exchanged wins and losses. And he lost last time out. So he's due for a dub. I mean, we're going back to 2014. This guy stays very, very active. How many fights is this for Charles Rosa? It is. I'm not going to break down every single one of them, but one, two, three, four, five. Oh, I just clicked on Berg. I think think this is his 12th UFC fight. So he's 12th UFC fight. Rotated wins and losses. Coming off the loss against Damon Jackson. Who probably was able to ice or stop his grappling? Brown kind of, kind of fights with a bit of a low IQ. I could see him getting himself oh, into a. Ever, yeah. I could see him getting himself into trouble or like shooting for takedowns on Charles Rosa here, and maybe Rosa pulls one out on him. We don't have props, obviously. This fight was just announced this afternoon, but Rosa by sub is something that I'm going to be paying attention to because if he's a plus two twenty underdog, we could get. An absolutely silly sub prop in this spot. But I think it's Dogger Pass 100%. What about you? Uh, yeah, well, if you remember, we just recently did the Dogger Pass annual awards, and I awarded Charles Rosa most fatable, and I got to go with it. I know what you're saying. He's been rotating wins and losses. For the record, he's 5-6 and six through 11 UFC fights, mm-hmm. and I think he's about to go 5-7 and seven and lose his job. I mean, he's doing them a favor by stepping up just and taking short notice. Yeah, I don't. I, well, you know what? Fair enough. They're obviously not going to cut him, and he is doing them a favor here. Uh, a guy with that much tenure who's never lost back-to-back fights, fair. They're going to give him a little bit of leash. But listen, the blueprint's just been written on this guy, and he ain't no better. Like Charles Rosa, for the record, is 35 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. He's had a bunch of major surgeries in his career, and he cannot stuff a takedown. That's not getting any better. Can he grapple off his back? Sure. But is he submitting these guys? No, not outside of what? Mandy Bermudez? Like, no, he's not submitting these guys. So he gives up easy money takedowns, and then they just establish top control on him. And from there, he's he's useless. His striking, just not quite good enough. So TJ Brown's got massive flaws in his game. I just feel like the blueprint's been written there for Charles Rosa. If you want to tape study this guy and be like, well, how, how are we going to approach this? You look at the Bryce Mitchell fight, first and foremost, whenever Bryce wanted him down, he got him down, muscled him to the ground more than used technique, and he just neutralized everything, shut everything down and owned him from top control. Easy money win for Bryce Mitchell because that's Bryce's style, right? Derek Minner. Derek Minner is as one-dimensional as one-dimensional could possibly get. He's got no cardio. He's got very limited striking. Almost, I wouldn't say no striking. Very, very limited striking. But he will power you to the ground and try to submit you. And that, that's all he does. His wrestling looked fantastic. Why? Because he was taking on Charles Rosa, whose takedown defense is non-existent. He's able to fish a couple submission attempts and ultimately just ground him the entire time. Between the second, one round into the fight, Minner's on his corner, huffing and puffing, head down. James Krause lifts his head up and he says, dude, I know you're tired. Just do the exact same thing. 
That's all he does. Goes in, one takedown, sits in guard. Third round, goes in, one takedown, sits in guard. It's, it's, it's too easy, too easy. So, yeah, he beats Justin James on a split decision where he got clipped by Justin James. He also got almost submitted by Justin James. Not that Charles Rose has ever actually been submitted, so I can't say almost submitted. Dude's got cast iron submission defense at the very least. But he just gets taken down and gets held down. So when you think about how does TJ Brown fight, very wild, very wild. Sometimes he wants to strike and it gets him into trouble, like the Danny Chavez fight. Sometimes he just wants to wrestle way too much, like the Jordan Griffin fight. Sometimes he... That little balance in between the Kai Kamaka fight, I thought he lost, but split decision win for him. But he's he's struggling to figure out how to tie all of his skills together. So then but, now he's got a four day four day notice against an opponent that's not even remotely close to what he was getting ready for. Mowgli is a completely different fight. Completely different fight. However, if you were if you were his coaches, if they brought me in and they were like, what kind of trouble could we run into against Gabriel Mowgli Benitez? I'd be like, okay, well, he kicks unbelievably hard. Javier Mendez and AKA are really big on his striking skill set. And your guy's a little bit, a little bit uh, fragile. TJ Brown's fragile. That's one problem about him. Look at his career, okay? Lost to Shelby Graham, first round knockout. Lost to Bobby Taylor, first round knockout. Lost to Joey Miola, second round submission. Lost to Trey Ogden. First round submission. Lost to Cody Carrillo, who was 13 and 16 at the time. First round knockout. Loses to Jordan Griffin in his UFC debut. Second round submission after he completely gasses out. Homie is fragile. He's got durability issues. But you know what the benefit for him here is that? Charles Rosa hasn't knocked anybody out in eight years. In 11 UFC fights, not knocked anybody out. He's not a power puncher. No. So TJ, not likely to get clipped. But against Mowgli Benitez, oh baby, you better watch yourself. Now, how do you watch yourself? By standing in front of him and exchanging? No, by going after the takedowns. I would think the game plan coming into a Mowgli Benitez fight would have been get in this guy's face, close the space, and, and, and cl- try to get the fight to the ground and now grapple him, take her into some deeper waters. I thought TJ Brown might be a little bit sus in the cardio department because, again, the UFC debut, but his last two fights have gone the distance. He pushes a bit of a pace, and listen, he's got the skills to go out there and apply those skills against Charles Rosa. The two issues that we're having is issue number one, the streak, man. It's an 11-fight win-loss streak. That's got to be in your head a little bit. But beyond that is the minus 240. It's like everybody's thinking the same thing I'm thinking, that uh, that uh, TJ goes out there, gets wow. easy money takedowns, sits up shopping to guard. That is a minus 240 game plan, and that'll win. He'll look, he'll look like a minus 500 if he fights the proper game plan. It's that TJ Brown not exactly known for fighting the best game plan. It is a short notice switch up an opponent and all that jazz, but... I, uh, I truthfully do believe that he, he's got the skills to do exactly what Derek Minner did, and that's what they're going to try to come out here and do. It all makes sense, but I don't know. May, laying minus 280 on TJ Brown. Mm, it's too much. Yeah? Risky, risky, risky biz, man. I would, I would be careful in terms of your – I mean, you're not going to have too many options, but with your parlays, I would be careful with, uh, with TJ Brown having him too far up the totem pole there. That's, you don't make friends with Charles Rosa. You don't make yeah. friends with Charles. Trust me, I, I mean, I would have already snap played this if I had any sort of faith in Charles Rosa. You know how I love those uh, win-loss uh, uh, back and forths. Of course. As, of a, course. as a narrative. It doesn't actually matter, of course, but there's some. there's got to be something to it for him at this point. Hopefully he's in shape. Hopefully he shows up on the scales, looks all right. Looks the part. We'll see. I mean, this, it's so fresh. Who knows? He could, he could he could test positive by jumping on the plane and getting over to Vegas. Like that's that's the world we're living in right now. So, 
Yeah. Who, who knows if this fight even happens on on Saturday? But uh, yeah. But okay. I can tell you that once upon a time, Justin James bet twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> against the streak, <laughs> and the streak went on, my friend. So uh, buyers beware, I guess. One hundred percent. All right, we got Vyacheslav Borshev taking on Dakota Bush minus one ninety Borshev plus one sixty Bush. Who you got? Yeah, so I would love to play to uh, fade Slava Claus. I just something about him I can't quite get around quite yet. I'm sure he's making improvements to his game, but I mean he's not really a prospect. He's thirty years old, so. Uh, he's going to have to start moving his way up and being in the UFC, great. But he's still green still. He comes from all this Russian kickboxing background. Everything he throws is heavy duty. Like He puts a lot of uh, emphasis into all of his strikes. And he is currently the team alpha male striking coach. That's not as impressive as it sounds, only because like Cynthia Calvillo, once upon a time, was a striking coach. Like they, They've gone... Dwayne Ludwig and Martin Campman and Master Thong and like it's been a revolving door. Mike Malott is well, he's a head coach there, right? I can say he's a striking coach. All I'm saying is like it it sounds good, but he's he's stiff. He's just a big stiff power striker, and I don't think his wrestling's all that good. He's been taken down a pile of times. Well, what I will give this guy is that he fights probably similar to his training sessions in the gym. He gets taken down all the time. Team Alpha Male, they got a plethora of solid wrestlers to work with, and he scrambles and he gets back up. He gets taken down again, scrambles and gets back up. And when he is standing, these power strikes eventually just start to take their toll on you and add up. So I made a serious mistake by fading him against Chris Duncan on the Contender Series. Chris Duncan, you know, he's a Scottish prospect, trains with, with a couple of good guys over in Scotland. Um, you know, one, one of the top prospects, I would say. 7-0, and he's undefeated. He fought for Bellator. He's got a pretty well-rounded game. There's a lot you can like about him. And he just looked lost from the onset. I mean, Slava Claus just stood in his face, bombed him with power shots. He just didn't know what to do. He looked lost in the first round, loses the first. And then the second round, it's like, okay, now is where we got to put the foot on the gas, hopefully tire this guy, work your way back in. It was like, not happening. And Slava eventually knocks him out. He's like 28 seconds into the second round. He catches him on like a left hook, puts him down. Okay. This guy's limited, but there is something to his game. Now, we needed the right opponent to try to fade him in his UFC debut. This just ain't the right opponent in Dakota Bush. I think Dakota Bush probably does have a wrestling advantage in the aspect of his wrestling is good enough to take Slava down, but then Slava's going to get back up because that's what he does. I mean, again, he's, he's trained for this. He knows if he's not going to be the best wrestler, he's going to get back up and use his striking. And with Bush, it just shows that, uh, again, the longer the fights go, the more he gas tank is a bit of an issue. Cardio starts to let him hang dry. Once he's hanging dry, he's taking damage. Once he's taking damage, his game just falls completely apart. His fight with Austin Hubbard in that first round, it was like, hey, this guy moves pretty good. Seems like an athletic kid. And he's got a good leg kick game. I mean, the kicks are definitely compiling against Hubbard in the first round. Second round, I mean, the kicks are completely gone. It's disastrous. He's flat-footed, he's standing still, and he's getting hit. That'll likely be the situation here. Bush can wrestle, and he can grapple. And I think he's going to want to take Slava down in the first. But once his cardio starts to retreat on him, he's going to have to stand there and take these shots. And I just don't think you want to be standing in there versus a guy like Borchislav, who just hits so damn hard. So got to say that Vlachislav Borchislav gets the job done here. He's a big favorite in the spot. I think most people are on the same page that, he, he, you know, again, when you're at Team Alpha Male, striking coach or not, is that you're getting in really good reps with guys just like Dakota Bush every single day. If you're Dakota Bush, you know, he trains a little bit at Forest. He's moved around. He's got good training partners. But, like, you don't train with anybody like this. You don't have anybody who's just some heavy striking Russian. You take him down, he just gets right back up and tries to terminate you, right? Uh, is he still limited? Is he still green? Will he be exposed down the road? I do think so. 
on Saturday, yeah, I don't necessarily think that's the case. So give me Alpha Male striking coach on this occasion, Vlacheslav Borshislav. Uh, Borshev, I believe. Well, I don't know. Where, Borshev, I don't know. I don't yeah. know where you're getting that L. Borshislav. You know, I, I've come to realize with these the different foreign fighters that yeah, who knows how to pronounce the names? I mean, you think you get it, you practice it, you're like, this is how you do it, and then you see some broadcast and it's way off. But yeah, no, you're right. It is. Are you it trying? Is. Are you trying to be the Don Cherry of MMA? No, I was trying to just stick to calling him Slava Claus, right? Because that's a Claus, great like nickname. It. It is yeah, and that's why I was calling him Slava for the first, you know, half of the breakdown. But then eventually I was like, his name's not even actually Slava. Some people might be like, who are you talking about? So I butchered his last name and really threw them off and confused them. But uh, I don't know if you're on the same page or not. I just think that Bush is eventually going to tire and his game will start to fall apart. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, don't love, I mean, there's not a lot to completely love on this card. I, I'm, I'm I'm leaning towards it. I don't know if I'm going to end up betting it as the week goes along. Um, moving on down, we got Syed Yokub uh, Kakramanov taking on Brian Boom Kelleher. Minus 155 Kakramanov, plus 135 for Kelleher. I mean, Kakramanov seems, we were kind of saying it when he was coming into the UFC. We had wa- I had watched at least the, uh, the Umar Nurmagomedov fight from 2018 in PFL. I was like, this guy looks like he's got skills kind of in all aspects of the game. And then sure enough, you know, shows up against Trevin Jones, really, really, really short notice, misses weight by like three and a half pounds, which isn't great, but uh, they kind of give him a, you know, it's, he he was kind of saving the fight at that point. Um, And he looks, he looks the part, like he doesn't look like he's, very green at all. The guy's obviously taken on some pretty good opponents over the course of his career. Um, he's very, very aggressive on the feet. He's got a submission game. Wrestling seems to be on point. Kelleher, on the other hand, like, I mean, if you're Kakramanov, like, what, what's the thing that you have to worry about the most here? Like, don't get your head stuck in a guillotine. That That's the most potent way for Kelleher to put you away. But yeah, from I saw from Kakramanov in that fight against Trevin Jones that this guy's got three round cardio. He probably has five round cardio. I think he wins here, and I think minus one fifty five is a pretty fair fight price to pay. What about you? Yeah, man, I completely agree. I think Kakramanov answered a lot of questions in his debut, mostly when he looked really good against Umar Nurmagomedov. No doubt about it. Uh, that was like his coming out party, even in a loss. Like this guy's for real. Then he runs into that pipe Vargas flying knee. And it's he started off good too, man. Runs into a flying knee. What can you do? Then he just there was not enough activity activity out of him. So again, it's like where where's this guy at? Trevin Jones has been an upset specialist in the UFC. He's cashed big plus money tickets in his first UFC two UFC fights. He's got huge power. He's got a decent grappling game. Kakramanov's taking the fight like you mentioned on ultra short notice. Like, okay, you know, got got to think he's the rightful underdog in this spot. This kid looked big, man. He is a big bantamweight. I mean, big old back on him again. He he, he did miss weight, but at standing at five foot eight, having like a seventy inch reach, like he he's a he's a pretty big guy. He was considerably bigger than Trevin Jones, and he'll be bigger than Brian Keller. Comes from a wrestling base. His wrestling's good. I think good enough to nullify the wrestling from Brian Keller and keep this fight standing. As far as the striking goes. You know, they're both a little bit wild. They're both not the most technical, but are good strikers standing in your, in your face and just kind of bring heavy pressure. Uh, I would say the more aggressiveness is going to come from Kelleher, the bigger strikes, the bigger man, you know, the, the more ability to actually have his strikes do some damage and get his attention would come from Kakramanov. So 
with Kelleher, I think you look at his last fight, he just goes to a take the fight to the ground and hold him down all three rounds, easy money um, to get a decision victory. I don't think the wrestling is going to be on the table for him in this fight against Kakramanov. I think he's going to try. I think he's going to fail. He's going to be forced to stand with him. He will be able to have some success pressuring coming forward, and he will have success up against the cage. Like the one thing that Trevin Jones was able to do is he had a ton of success up against the cage, clinch, pressing him up his back against the wall. And I think that comes from inexperience for Kakramanov. And you know what? Keller has got a ton of experience. But I just think the younger, larger, more athletic guy who does have that wrestling base, he's already got a win in the UFC now, and he looked good doing it, is all going to be good. And last but not least, Kelleher has good, you know, fairly good cardio, right? So that's another thing that he'll do is he'll try to take opponents to deeper waters and then expose them. And you nailed it 100% when you mentioned Kakramanov, three-round cardio, looked like he had five-round cardio. He was not getting tired. Right, that was his biggest weapon in that last fight against Trevin Jones, and he took the fight and missed weight all like in the span of a week. Like that's not him at his best, nope. and you saw the kind of pace that he is capable of putting on. So, I'm gonna agree. I think the kid has got a bright future, and uh, this is a good showcase spot for him. And finally, we got Vanessa Demopoulos taking on Silvana Gomez Juarez minus one thirty. Demopoulos plus one ten. Juarez, who you got here? Okay, so this is going to sound really uh, lazy on my part, but I think I'm going to go Silva Gomez Juarez. Are all the favorites going to hit on the very first card of the year, Paul? No, not likely. I am kind of firm in my ways that I think Giga Chikots is going to win, Caitlin Chikagin is going to win, Brandon Royval is going to win, Jake Collier, Joe Anderson Brito, Joseph Holmes. Uh, Ramiz Brahimaj is technically being called an underdog, so Brahimaj is an underdog. You like Charles Brown, but I don't. Uh, I'm not. I don't like. I don't like Charles Brown. So I just don't like TJ Brown at minus two eighty. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. Okay, if someone put to. you on, if someone put you on the spot and said best underdog of the card, oh. would, you, would you say it's Charles Rosa? <laughs> to this oh. point, I would say it's maybe maybe the guy I just trashed and Brian Keller. I didn't trash him. Maybe yeah, Pickett. I, 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 I was not disrespectful. Yeah, right, right. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jamie Pickett plus one twenty, like. I suppose so. It's ugly. It's, it's an really ugly card. Yeah. You nailed it, dude. The lines have been out for a while. People have steamed it. The lines are likely where they should be. The main event, you know, Calvin Cater at plus 190. It looks appealing. What I'd like to do is have my tickets in play until the main event, hedge out on the plus 190. Yeah. Uh, but I need to put the winning combinations together. And part of that is sniffing out who potentially could be the apple pie shitter. And, and again, if I'm taking all the favorites at this point, this last one is dog or pass. It's the name of the show, and that's what this fight is. And the dog is uh, Juarez, and that's who I'm going I'm going with. Vanessa Demopoulos definitely has good BJJ credentials. I mean, her grappling's excellent, you know, inverted triangles, throw up the armbar. She's a former stripper, and if you can imagine what she's able to do on that pole, she can do to somebody's limb in a cage fight. You know, she's got some advanced stuff. Her striking, oh, Leave something to be desired, right? Her hands are low. Her face is forward. She gets hit a lot, but she's ultra aggressive, hyper aggressive, comes forward, stays in your face. A lot that you can like about that. Admirable stuff. Problem is, is that she can't tie the two things together because of a non-existent wrestling game. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it's just like Mackenzie Dern, who, by the way, is her chief training partner. Mackenzie Dern is a fantastic grappler. Mackenzie Dern's grappling or uh, striking, it's okay it's just not going to win top 10 fights in the UFC, right? You, you, you can win against prospects. You can win over journeyman. You can win over people who are kind of outside of that top 10 range. But when you're taking on contenders, just striking is not good. Vanessa DeMompolis is striking, ain't winning her striking battles. Her grappling is where her best path of victory lies. And she just does not have 
the wrestling. And it's the same thing as Mackenzie Jr. So Vonna got taken down five times in a round and then finished in her US. It debut. was embarrassing stuff. And we were on Lupita Godinez in that so spot. So maybe but, like uh, if, if Demopolis is ever going to land a takedown, maybe this is maybe this is it. I considered that. I considered that largely. I went back and forth in my head. I said, you know what? Um, Juarez looked awful in that fight against Lupita Godinez. And two problems, right? One, her takedown defense looked awful. Two, she backed straight up to the cage. Mm -hmm. Like she didn't try to move side to side. She didn't try to angle off. She moved straight back to the cage and allowed Lupita Godinez to pin her, take her down, easy money. Was she able to get up initially? Yes. Does that show something? Sure. But Lupita Godinez relentless. The difference is. Lupita Godinez has proven that she is a wrestler. She couldn't take down Luana Carolina. That was some bum stuff, but it's up a weight class on short notice against an opponent that had like a six inch height advantage on her. She just didn't make the adjustments. Couldn't take her down against other competition. Lupita Godinez is actually a pretty decent wrestler in this division. She was able to consistently get takedowns. Would you think that Vanessa Demopoulos can consistently get the takedowns? I don't know. However, I will admit she probably only needs one. Like if she does get her to the ground, she's going to set up shop real fast and she's going to be extremely dangerous. But in my mind, it's dog or pass because those are the ifs of how does Vanessa Demopoulos win this fight? The ifs for Juarez is that she does circle out and she's going to box her up. She's got better hands. She's a better striker. Uh, By the way, at women's 115 pounds, they don't get tired. Like she's going to be able to stay to the outside and just land the cleaner, more effective strikes. And just like Vanessa Demopoulos and all of her losses, her face gets busted up, she bleeds, she her mouth is open, and it doesn't look good. She's just coming forward and eating shots. Juarez could do all that to her. If the fight does hit the ground, Vanessa Demopoulos, sure. If, 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 could go either side. One of them's got plus money. It's a coin flip, in my opinion. I guess I would ever so slightly lean towards Juarez. But you, you don't want exposure on a fight like this. You know, no. certainly don't want overexposure on a fight like this. It's the very first UFC fight of 2022. So we're gonna we're gonna have exposure to it, Paul Shaughnessy. I'm just yeah. saying, like, it's not know what you're getting yourself. There's fights also, every uh, single week. You don't have to get yeah. super aggressive with a fight like this. I imagine this fight is right at the bottom of your parlays, because then you can rebuild when uh, when uh Demopoulos is able to get a takedown and uh and submit uh Gomez Juarez. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's an ugly fight. Interestingly, the over/under for a for a uh, women's uh, women's uh, strawweight fight minus two hundred over one over two point five rounds, which is actually kind of surprising. But both of these girls, I think, are you know complete meltdown candidates at any given time. Uh, Demopolis, in fairness, super super durable over the course of her career, so. She she can take a shot. No, no, um, the the finishing, the fear for finishing, I guess, has more to do with Gomez Juarez not being able to stop takedowns against subbed early, early and often by uh by Demopolis here. Uh, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll go with Gomez Juarez. There's no way I'm putting a cent of my hard earned money on that, particularly after the laser guided heat seeking missile flamed out. Uh, we got we to gotta pick our spots. So the only two spots I'm going to make bets on as soon as we get off here. Uh, Sayu, uh, Kakramanov, minus 155. It's the best price on the market right now. It's at DraftKings Sportsbook. Jake Collier, minus 130. That's what's going to be getting my money, and we'll see how the rest of the plays, or how the rest of the week plays out. And as always, um, at Paul Shag on Twitter, I'll, I'll say what I'm on. Uh, Saturday morning, usually release. My full card. Um, 
we are just about out of time here, Cody. Before we go, hit him with the PRP. First PRP of the year. We're going to go with Giga Chikats, Caitlin Chikagian, Brandon Royval, Jake Collier, Joanna Sombrito, Joseph Holmes, Ramiz Brahimaj, TJ Brown, Vashislav Borshev, uh, Sayukub Kakramanov, and Silvana Gomez Juarez. Paul is indeed right. Juarez will be ending up on the PRP official ticket. And if she loses, she loses. It is what it is. Uh, yeah, I would say you want to focus on the better prices, as Paul mentioned. I think he's got one of them. I would say in terms of if there was value, the Caitlin Jukagian by decision, minus 120, that looks pretty good. Brandon mm-hmm. Roy Val's almost minus 160. That does look good to me. Jake Collier, of course, that did look good to me. You said Roy Val by decision? No, no, no. Just Roy Val. Roy Val straight up is minus 160. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I would say Caitlin Jukagian by decision, minus 120. Roy Val as a minus 160, that's value. Jake Collier's money line's value. Joannison Brito's money line does look value. However, fight could get canceled. And I don't know, does that make you nervous? Is Corman's got COVID? Like, does he got COVID? Is, is that going to affect him? Like, I don't think so. Is he not going to be able that to leave his room to except to go to weigh-ins? That's a possibility, though. Like, is yeah, he not right, going to be able right. to do his regular sure. uh, training routine to get himself kind of, you know, limber and, and fresh every single day? Probably. He's going to have to probably do most yeah. of that in his hotel room, which can be annoying. And Bill Algeo does not take his foot off the gas. So, and this is his UFC debut. So, yeah, all right. Maybe you want to pass on that one. Could make his weight cut completely. harder, too. The Ramiz money line also does look good. And, uh, yeah, that, 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 that is actually about it. So, if you've, um, if you've got, like, the willpower, yeah, maybe you only bet four or five fights on this card. If you want to get degenerate with it, you'll make some parlays and maybe even hit up Invict FC tonight. So, have some fun. Brahima by decision. Plus oh yeah, Collier. That Collier by decision, uh-huh. plus one fifty. A lot of times people say you don't got an underdog. You don't got an underdog. You know what? Why take an underdog when you can take a favorite by a prop and mm-hmm. make him an underdog? Yeah, yeah. In I mean, this case, yeah. If you if you want that plus money play, if that's what you're chasing, a Collier by decision. And honestly, dude, Caitlin Chikagian at minus one twenty. Like, man, that, that just seems too good to be true. I'm walking into a trap. Of some I mean, sort. we watched that if fight. Female Wonder Boy I think, Thompson. I think the way that female that... Wonder Boy Thompson screws me to start at the year, Paul. It ain't going to be a good sign. The way that Chikagian fight goes bad for that decision prop is if Maya secures takedowns early. Because uh, like she didn't seem you know, to struggle, yeah. and once she got her to her back, now Chikagian wasn't exactly fighting to get back to her feet. But like she was just she was stuck there like a dorm like she was she was a doormat at that point she was just right, stuck. Right. Um, yep. If she does that in the round one, I mean that changes the entire complexion of the whole fight. So yeah, if, if you're Maya's corner and you're listening right now, shoot for takedowns. Well, maybe not. Don't shoot for takedowns because Cody's gonna have Shukagian on his parlays. Anyway, that is it for us this week. <laughs> I hope you yeah, enjoyed. That's my bad. My bad. Uh, my bad. All right, yeah. that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Pat Mayo and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.